we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. In follow-up last week's uh, discussion, the excess deaths in the country and in the world are epic and historic, and it is the biggest catastrophe, certainly, in our lifetime. With that, uh, we think that uh, there is more evidence coming out from Pfizer and a testimony before the Australian Parliament that was... uh, that goes to the heart of the matter in, in several regards. Jordan, what did you make of it? Yeah, so I think this is pretty um, concerning in multiple ways. But interestingly enough, um, I think one of the first things that just goes beyond, you know, whether the vaccine was correct or not, this, this senator asked just a question of, do they understand the mechanism uh, for which this myocarditis occurs, which... I think the senator is getting to the point that wouldn't that be important to find out uh, and uh, notify people uh, that it might happen. And if you did see that signal, wouldn't it be a good idea of figuring out how it happens? So here, here's the questioning, which I think is just very good. Uh, Senator, I don't have that report in front of me, so I'm afraid I can't talk to that. What I can say is that the TGA is one of the world's leading regulators. Okay, okay. Well, well, you can take my word for it. I've got, I'm happy to table this document, okay? So it, it clearly stated that a number of tests were not conducted, okay? And given that those tests weren't conducted, and I accept it was a short time frame, I accept we had a short time frame, but that doesn't remove the risk that certain risks were not analysed, and you never highlighted those risks when the vaccine was rolled out. Senator, I disagree with that statement. I think there was a very clear assessment of the benefit The therapeutic goods is a very thorough and very competent authority, perfectly able to reach a decision based that, on that of which it acts, which it well, so initially when the vaccine was rolled out, myocarditis and pericarditis wasn't a recognised side effect. Does Pfizer understand why the vaccine causes myocarditis and pericarditis? And if not, how then can it guarantee that it's not also injuring other organs? And can you explain the process why the vaccine causes myocarditis and pericarditis? I'll take that, Dr. Um Based on our clinical trials and pharmacovigilance data, as well as real-world evidence following the distribution now of billions of doses of vaccine, we retain confidence, strong confidence, in the safety profile of the vaccine. So, sorry, Chair, point of order. Point of order. I've asked, do you understand why it causes... I know that it's a low risk. I'm asking, do you understand why it causes myocarditis? I want you, I want you to explain to me why it causes myocarditis. Do you understand why it causes myocarditis? Pfizer is aware of very rare reports of myocarditis and pericarditis that have been temporarily associated with vaccination. Well, that's However, still ongoing for some people. That's very good. Uh, Dr. Thru should answer the question. Thank you, Dr. Thru. 
According to public health experts and regulatory authorities around the globe, the number of reports of myocarditis remains small. Well, I'm not referring to the number of reports. I want you to explain to me the mechanism of how the vaccine causes myocarditis. Do you or do you not understand the mechanism of why the vaccine causes myocarditis? It looks to me like you don't. And if you don't understand it, why are you saying the vaccine is safe without qualifying the risks? Um, Senator Rennick, I think uh, Dr. Theroux is actually about to get to that point. Whether people agree, whether there's agreement to his evidence or not, is another question for others to make a judgment on. Um, but Dr. Theroux, if you could uh, again go to um, Senator Rennick's uh, question. Senator, uh, all medicines, all therapeutic products and vaccines have uh, benefits and have side effects as well. Looking at the totality of the evidence for Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine, uh, regulatory authorities, health authorities, experts globally, including in Australia, within the Department of Health and the TGA, have maintained that the benefit-risk ratio... That's not the question that I asked. I asked, can you explain why the vaccine causes myocarditis? Yes or no? Uh, Senator, the benefit-risk... Yes or no? So you clearly don't understand the pathway, do you? Because you can't explain it. I'm not referring to the cost-benefit analysis here. I'm referring to do you understand the biochemical pathway as to why the vaccine causes damage to the heart? Senator, I'm happy to take your question on notice and come back to the committee with whatever information we can provide. I might just clarify, I was not referring to a cost-benefit analysis in my previous response. I was referring to the benefit-risk ratio and health authorities around the globe continue to recommend uh, the benefits uh, and that's, this isn't the question that I'm asking. Anyway, thanks. So again, Stuart, I think that was a pretty good example. This senator is just trying to basically ask a question that goes to the heart of the issue. Uh, and I think that's probably a term that's even more important there. Um, but that the, uh, the vaccine itself, I mean, knowing the mechanisms by which it causes damage is important to even discover damage and they aren't even looking into it which i think yeah. is yeah, pretty that, obvious there yeah that is the key if they acknowledge the reason or the mechanisms by which these shots are killing people once they open that can of worms there is no putting the genie back in the bottle as they say uh, but the fact is we know why, and we've known why, and we we knew why before they did this. The, um, I remember in several of our presentations, we we I've shown slides where in 2012 we knew where the lipid nanoparticle was accumulating, um, and we knew the damage to the animals that were being tried. It was being the technology was being tried upon. And there was death and destruction on, in every one of the trials. Uh, depending on which of the three, let's review again, depending on which of the three animals that were used in trials of this, for this type of technology, uh, depending on which, uh, how you looked at it, 50 to 100% of them died after being exposed to natural variants. So, and this isn't the SARS-2, but the natural variants of whatever pathogen they were looking at. But the uh, reality is they've known this and they know the mechanisms. And this guy, while he is uh, uh, earning his money, is allowing millions and millions of people to die. 
In fact, uh, I don't know if you saw the Substack uh, article from um, Mr. Steve Kirsch this past week when he said that one in a thousand people are dying from the shot. One in a thousand. Um, they are intentionally ignoring the truth and the reality of the damage done. And it's, it's their obligation, their duty to have done these types of studies and to look at the pathophysiology of the damage being done. They clearly know it. And um, he didn't perjure himself like Fauci has done countless times. He, that guy did not uh, perjure himself before the Australian Senate. Uh, he just ignored the question, which was a very basic, easy question to answer yes or no. Do you know how these shots are killing or hurting the heart? Um, and the guy refused to answer. He went off on t tangents and played lawyer with him, but he did not answer the, the easy question that the evidence is abundant in and that we know exactly, in, we know several of the mechanisms. I, I bet there are more to be discovered, but we know several of the mechanisms by which the heart muscles were injured um, uh, because of these shots. It's criminal. I don't know how these people sleep with themselves. Uh, look in the mirror. It's just awful that these people do this. Here we are three and a half years after the start of the uh, the manufactured virus was exposed to humanity. And uh, these doctors, these experts, they're experts in deception is what they're experts in. Yeah, and then even uh, to that point, there's another um, part of this that goes to the heart of, and again, I, I don't want to get down too deep down the rabbit hole here, but when they start talking to these people again and asking them even about what the Pfizer employees uh, received. Uh, interestingly enough, um, they said that the Pfizer employees uh, had their own imported um, vials of the uh, vaccine, which is um, quite, I don't, I don't know, interesting. I mean, I guess you could make the argument that they were trying to, I, I really don't have a great argument. I don't know why they had to go outside the normal import mechanisms to get their own employees vaccinated. But um, it seems yeah, to me a little bit fishy. I bet that every one of those bottles that the vaccines were, uh, as they call them, were um, from which they were drawn, I bet every one of them was quickly destroyed uh, because there was nothing in them, probably. You remember the story in April of 21 when uh, the CEO, Berla, of, uh, of Pfizer couldn't get into Israel because he had not had the shots. And of course, the scumbag that he is said that uh, uh, he didn't want to take one of the shots from somebody that was more needy. needy. Uh, it's just amazing uh, the corruption and evil that this has been uh, allowed. As it's that's been allowed. Yeah. So the other thing that I thought was interesting was um, I was talking to Cheryl Atkinson. Um, and one of the things that she had brought up to me was a letter that had gone to, um, to the FDA on December 8th of 2020. And, uh, do you know what that would date would be, uh, would that be uh, prior yeah. to the approval? Here? Yeah, two days before. 
Yeah. And what I thought would be interesting just to kind of read through this and see what you think here. It's from a respected uh, rheumatologist at UCLA who's an MD, PhD, basically says, I'm a pediatric specialist caring for children with multi-systems inflammatory syndrome, concerned about the possibility that the new vaccines aimed at creating immunity against SARS-CoV-2 spike protein, including the MRA, mRNA vaccines, have the potential to cause microvascular injury to the brain, heart, liver, and kidneys in a way that does not currently appear to be assessed in safety trials of these potential drugs. Uh, so he gives some qu quotes here, but basically says that Lastly, it says, is it possible the spike protein itself causes the tissue damage associated with COVID-19? Nuvo et al. have shown that in 13 of 13 brains from patients with fatal COVID-19 pseudovirins, spike envelope and membrane proteins without viral RNA are present in the endothelia of cerebral microvessels. Further, tail vein injections of the full-length S1 subunit in mice led to neurological signs increased thirst and stress behavior not evident in those injected with the S2 subunit. The S1 subunit localizes to the endothelial of microvessels in the mouse brain and is a potent neurotoxin. So the spike S1 subunit of SARS-CoV-2 alone is capable of being endocytosed by ACE2 positive endothelial in both human and mouse brain with a concomitant posse-cellular microencephalitis that may be the basis for the neurological complications of COVID-19. The Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine is composed of an mRNA that produces a membrane-anchored full-length spike protein. The mouse study suggests that an untruncated form of the S1 protein like this may cause a microvasculopathy in tissues that express much ACE2 receptors. A truncated form of S1 was much less damaging in mice. While there are pieces of this puzzle that have yet to be worked out, it appears that the viral spike protein that is the target of the major SARS-CoV-2 vaccine is also one of the key agents causing the damage to distant organs that may include the brain and the heart. And I think that that was basically, uh, you know, his overall assessment. And I, I agree with it in multiple ways. And I think most importantly, at the end of this letter, he has a, a paragraph that says, uh, while there are pieces to the puzzle, basically, um, before any of these vaccines are approved for widespread use in humans, it's important to assess in vaccinated subjects the effects of vaccination on the heart. Hmm. Vaccinated patients could also be tested for distant tissue damage in deltoid area skin biopsies as employed by Margot et al. As important as it is to quickly arrest the spread of the virus by immunizing the population, it would be vastly worse if hundreds of millions of people were to suffer long-lasting or even permanent damage to their brain or heart microvasculature as a result of failing to appreciate in the short term an unintended effect of full-length spike protein-based vaccines on these other organs. What do you think, Stuart? I think we're seeing that exact thing, that exact warning play out in spades. This thing has been horrific, and they knew it. That's what's so amazing about it. These fools knew what they were going to do to humanity, and they were warned about it beforehand, even if they claimed they didn't know. Well, and all this, all of this pedi pediatric rheumatologist uh, quoted was their own data, meaning the research is in the journals prior to the – I mean, everybody had done the research on the spike prior to um, really releasing this vaccine. So – a lot of these questions, as they appeared, as the virus started to affect more people, no one ever took time to answer uh, the, why the spike seemed to be the pathogen, which we know now is. 
So, uh, well, well, the other thing that uh, just came out last week, and it was on the Dark Dark Horse podcast, was when um, when uh, Paul Offit is. Uh, we we want to play that audio. Paul Offit says, without doubt, there is causality to myocarditis and uh, and the shots. Uh, that was that's an amazing uh, reality that we're now having to accept. Uh, I'll let you. Uh, spin that up and start that. I think it's just the one minute. No doubt about it. Uh, the the um, it's, it's unclear why. I mean, it may be as was actually noticed in 2020 that SARS-CoV-2 virus, the spike protein, mimics um, a one of the proteins on heart muscle cells, specifically the, the heavy chain of of uh, of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of um, actin. So so if that's True. Then, while you're making an immune response to the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein, you're also inadvertently making an immune response to your own heart muscle. So, Stuart, that's what you were talking about. But basically, he actually does give a give an example of why it might be causing it, um, as opposed to the own Pfizer scientists that uh, evidently uh, maybe they don't want to perjure themselves or put themselves under. Um, you know, lie before a, a congressional body, but, um, or they may not have an answer to it. Um, yeah, well, the fact of the matter is, uh, Weinstein's in their podcast, Dark, uh, say this is, uh, they call it something I'd never heard of. It's a limited hangout. I believe that Paul, and this is what uh, Brett Weinstein says, he and his wife on their podcast say, I believe that Paul Offit is do, what Paul Offit is doing is a limited hangout designed to rescue the messenger RNA platform from the natural consequences of what we have now discovered at the cost of who knows how many lives globally. And he goes on to describe that a limited hangout is used in the um, uh, in the intelligence world. So you just float this one statement out there. And that one statement is going to give cover to the big wigs, and somebody's going to, somebody may, t- uh, an under may take the fall. But the reality is that it is, this is a major statement. Uh, I was amazed that, that, that Paul Offit so forthrightly claims that, that it's without doubt caused by these shots. And we know, we've known the mechanism why. They've known the mechanism why. Even though the Pfizer guy under testimony in Australia did not want to admit it. But they've known the reasons why. And here Paul often is just floating this out. He wouldn't have said this two years ago. What a fool. I mean, this guy yeah. is an evangelist. If you're talking about Billy Graham being an evangelist for the truth, this guy, Paul Offit, is an evangelist for the lies of the uh, pharma. Uh, he is one of the leading guys in the world for promoting vaccines. And here he is just dismissing, yeah, yeah, we, we've known without doubt that these shots are, uh, can cause heart inflammation and heart injury and death. Yeah, yeah, we've known that. And then he just moves on. Uh, I mean, this guy's such a horrible, wicked fool. Guy, he's so evil. And um, there's so many more like him, like the new guy, the new woman that's taken over from our uh, wonderful state. Thank goodness she's out of our state, but unfortunately she's going to do a lot more damage in taking over for uh, for uh, Fauci. 
Tony, Tony Fauci, uh, Murano, she is just awful. She's going to be doing more of the same. Unfortunately, the, the real threat with her going up to D.C. is the fact that she's going to uh, divert millions and millions of dollars in study money to uh, UAB to injure and kill others like they did with remdesivir, but that's an aside. These people in charge that have been in charge for the last generation have done uh, such historic epic damage that uh, it's going to take generations to overcome these fools. But um, uh, here he is. I mean, I could not believe when I heard this because they've been screaming, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way. And here he is just in one statement, without doubt, there is causality. That's what he said. Yeah. All right. Well, again, this is Dr. Jordan Vaughn, Dr. Stuart Tankersley with America Out Loud Pulse. Always one of one beat ahead. We will be back. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus-hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the Wellness Company discussed the harmful effects of spike protein in your body. And now they found the solution. The miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase, the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. And Jordan, uh, Rick and Bubba, uh, a syndicated radio show out of uh, Alabama is probably the the lead radio show for, uh, or audience for people, men especially probably, I know my wife loves listening to them, but they're out of Montgomery, I mean out of Anniston or Birmingham now, but uh, they are uh, on this weekend's university podcast, uh, they had Dr. Uh, Walscog, Joel Walscog, and he is of React 19. And he gets really into the weeds and, and talks to the truth about the disasters of the last uh, two and a half years with these shots. He himself uh, had uh, had one of the shots, very fit orthopedic surgeon, looks like he's about 50 years of age. 
very, very fit, very active guy. He gets the shot, and within a week, he can't move his legs. He's got transverse myelitis, uh, which is, as you know, an inflammation in the spine. And he is permanently disabled from this shot. Can't do any more. I mean, what a, what a loss for the community to have an orthopedic surgeon that can no longer, all of a sudden, can't work. And he is, he is an advocate for uh, the vaccine injury. And it is REACT-19 is the organization that you and I have, uh, have been well acquainted with over the last uh, couple of years. But uh, he makes several important statements, if you don't uh, mind uh, playing his speech. The, the medical establishment has really, in this situation, been anti-science. Again, natural immunity is real. Early treatment, I think there's very good science behind that. And, you know, historical regulatory norms have been ignored. So in most products that come out on the market, they're, they're, they're considered to be unsafe and ineffective until proven otherwise. In this situation, it's assumed that it's safe and effective. And I, I can't stand those words because they're, they're too simplistic in the situation. The other thing is, is there, there's two other regulatory norms that have been ignored in this pandemic and, and around the shots, which is never test experimental products in children and never test experimental product, products in pregnant women. Those two regulatory norms have also been completely ignored by our federal regulatory agencies uh, regarding the COVID shots. Uh, but go, go ahead, Doc. Oh, I was going to say, but continue a little bit of what you were saying, Rick. You know, I'm very, very disappointed and I'm very critical of of the healthcare community of today because they don't, you know, I wrote a paper once, it was called The Employed Physician, The End of Healthcare. And <laughs> as more and more of our physicians across the country have gone out of private practice and in an, into an employed uh, status where they're employed by a large health organization, yep. they're no longer scientists. They're just doing what the company yep. tells them to do. Uh, you know, again, when I always say if, if someone tells you just, oh, your provider says the words, quote, safe and effective, end quote, I always say run because it's much more complicated than that. You have to delve into the data yourself about the safety and efficacy of these vaccines. Doc, my experience is very similar to Rick's. I had it. Um, I had antibody test. I had high antibodies. My physician, who I trusted very much, who had been a very good personal physician for me told me to wait 90 days and then get the shot. Literally called back the next day and said, go get the vaccine. I said, well, we just talked yesterday and you said, don't. And you said, well, we got new new science on this today. And through the conversation, I said, you don't have new science. You got a, you got a edict sent down from the managed healthcare company. He said, well, something like that. So yeah. I, did, I did not heed that advice and I did not get it. And I'm glad I didn't now. Um, and is that is that part of the problem? Because you just touched on that. Is the structure of our health care that we now have major corporations who own hospitals, who own doctors' offices, and they employ these doctors, and they are barking down the medical decisions for literally hundreds or thousands of doctors, as opposed to doctors being able to treat their customers or their patients the way they want to. Bubba, absolutely. I think that is a core issue or the 
part of the core problem here is 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 really the independent physician that was science based that looked at data that read journals. Uh, they're a thing of the past. You know, I'm going to use my prior employer, Advocate Aurora Healthcare. So I worked for Aurora Healthcare out of Wisconsin. They joined Advocate in Chicago, and now they joined with Atrium in North Carolina, and they're the fifth largest health organization representing thousands and thousands of physicians. So what they can do is set up, you know, practice norms, which then, you know, tell their providers how to practice and have expectations on how they're practicing. I encourage your listeners, man, go out, try to find some independent physicians out there that can think on their own and to really delve. We're supposed to be, as a physician, you're supposed to be a scientist. We're supposed to look at data. Right. Um, and, and again, stay away from the corporate revenue-based healthcare providers. We'll be back. Uh, so we'll again, I think. Yeah, he uh, then goes on to say several things. I mean, it was a wonderful 45-minute interview. And uh, you've had the opportunity, and it was uh, worthwhile. And uh, I would encourage everybody, anybody to go back on. Uh, maybe less than a year ago, you spoke to them on their university, once a week university podcast. But um, And they quoted you several times But in, in this interview this past weekend. But I think here are several of the things that Dr. Walscog also said. He said, I think we're up against pure evil. Through a little bit of fear, we gave up freedom. We gave up control. And then, and then he went on to talk about the mission statement of the FDA, Federal Drug Administration, says they are to protect the public from drugs and medical devices. Uh, the way this thing was dealt with was anti-science. And once again, his, his organization, react19.com, has been around even before the COVID shot, but it's uh, for people that have been vaccine injured or who have family members who are vaccine injured. And uh, he, may, he is a powerful witness because of his, uh, his experience, obviously, his intellect. And uh, there's no way you can refute, anyone could refute, discredit what he is saying. Because we have, we have sold the soul out of uh, medicine uh, by being employed uh, by these uh, these entities, these organizations, these companies, and uh, we we take orders from on high for what we're going to do. Uh, it's just I was employed for uh, uh, maybe three or four years, uh, well over ten years ago, and um, no, they wouldn't. Know, I guess they would have known better than to come to me and tell me what to do and how to treat patients, but. Uh, clearly, that's what has transpired the last three and a half years. These doctors are, uh, I love these statements that he made. Employers tell physicians how to practice. I encourage your listeners to go out and try and find independent physicians out there who can think on their own. As a physician, we are supposed to be scientists. Stay away from the corporate revenue-based medical provider. Yeah, this has taught us all a very valuable lesson. And uh, a lot needs to change. Uh, repentance needs to start. But, uh, it has been amazing. The last yeah, and, and I think that it goes to the point of I think there should always be tension. Um, and I think when I look back at my father's age, physicians, most of the groups uh, were independent practices, and uh, they used hospitals. Hospitals were uh, places where they could perform their procedures, they could take care of patients, and the infrastructure to do that is what the hospital provided. 
Um, now, when there was a disagreement between a physician and the hospital, usually it was over what was right for the patient, right? Yep. And now when the hospital and the physician are, are basically, they are the same person. The only person that suffers without that tension is the patient. That's who gets the raw end of the deal. And I think most people in the current environment can tell you that when they go to the hospital compared to 25 years ago, it's a very different, um, it, it really is a very different experience. Wouldn't you say, Stuart? There, it, is, it is not a care system. It is a financial, uh, it is a business, and business uh, is the priority. I mean, the idea that we're going to kidnap patients uh, and take them from their family, and their family are going to just uh, watch them or listen uh, from the nurses or the doctors, rarely the doctors, but the staff at the hospitals, how bad the patient's doing before they die. Nope. I guess we'll try and accommodate uh, you through a window if, in fact, there is an opportunity for the hospital to have an ICU on the ground floor. Otherwise, no, you're just going to have to suffer with it. Sucks to be you. Uh, deal with it. It's just so evil. Everything about this whole catastrophe has been evil. And uh, the people responsible for it at the local community. And I think that one, uh, two of the people that, uh, that are overlooked that, are, that should be held to account are local mayors and uh, coroners. And then, of course, you can go into the uh, medical industrial complex and look at the people that work in hospitals and whatnot. But uh, mayors and coroners have not been held to account for the disasters in the uh, communities they were supposed to have served. Of course, that fool up in New York City, uh, <clears throat> CNN and the mainstream media propped him up as a, a world-class hero, even though he was a buffoon of um, epic proportions. But... Everything that was done, uh, they knew about it, as we talked about earlier with Paul Offit, the sycophant for all vaccines, uh, the fool's fool, uh, admitting without question they knew the causal link between these shots and heart damage. And uh, Well, even then, you could tell um, from that letter we read earlier, um, at least the evidence of, I mean, we literally had hundreds of thousands of people that had been infected, and we had data on them. And so right. to use the same spike, um, it was pretty, it was pretty obvious. It doesn't take a, um, a brain surgeon to figure out that, uh, you know, if you use the same thing that seems to be the ACE2 receptor that's causing the damage at the microvascular level of the heart, um, if you use that to vaccinate, it's going to cause damage as well. And, uh, they were warned, uh, warned, uh, but didn't really listen to it, I don't think so. Well, uh, Joel Walscock, W-A-L-L-S-K-O-G, uh, he gave a wonderful testimony. I remember hearing about him uh, when he gave Senate Senate in the Senate hearing um, that Johnson held. Uh, it, I'd never heard of him until then. And then here he is, uh, one of the leading spokesmen for Act 19. Uh, he's not a fool's fool by any stretch. He's speaking the truth. No, and if you talk to Joel, I mean, Joel would have been, Joel would have been, again, a guy that would have thought that a vaccine's a vaccine. Um, one of the, I think the one of the big problems, and I think that might be by Paul Offit, is uh, a little bit maybe throwing this mRNA technology um, under the bus. Is it? It's, it's it is different. I mean, it's 
it's much different uh, than all other vaccines that have ever been put on the market. Okay, and from that standpoint, um, I think there's fear among the the uh, vaccine gospel uh, that they have compromised their whole program, a program all the way down. And I think that's um, somewhat why they might start to want to look at kicking out um, this member of their community. And uh, but again, I think the further what it's done is woken up a lot of people to look at these vaccines and look at how much we push them and question uh, when they're needed, why they're needed, and even the ultimate question is if they're needed. So, yeah, that's the uh, that was the one. There was a wonderful dialogue, discussion, or whatever about it. Uh, I think Joe Rogan. There's been several people in places, but uh, the question is, uh, I remember medical school in. In 1900, the average uh, lifespan in America was 47 years. In 2000, uh, it was uh, 77 years. And the number one attributed reason for that was vaccine. Uh, Since all this has happened, transpired, uh, and I've listened and read about more and more uh, evidence about vaccines, the truth is sanitation has been was the leading reason for. Uh, the increased lifespan. Sterile technique in medicine, of course, but vaccines were way overstated. And the evidence, and, and as the book turtles uh, all the way down or whatever uh, points out, none of these vaccines, and Robert Kennedy Jr. talks about it, but none of the vaccines have any long-term st- safety uh, data. And all the, and of the people, the 40,000 people that were in the trial for these messenger RNA vaccines, uh, they were, the study was corrupted immediately after it ended because all the people that were in the placebo arm got the shot. So they couldn't do any long, long-term study. It was just so unethical. It was intentional and they knew it. Uh, and I hope they all go to prison for it. Of course, more importantly, I hope they all repent, but uh, I hope they all go to prison for for the rest of their lives. Yeah, it's, I think it's, there has to be, I think, a time for repentance. And if there isn't repentance, I think, uh, then people need, um, need to be held accountable, so. Even if they are, they need to be held accountable. Even if they do, I think they still need to be held accountable. All right. Well, again, this is Dr. Jordan Vaughn, Dr. Stuart Takersley with America Out Loud Pulse. We will be back for the final segment after this uh, commercial break. Well, the out loud truth was the rallying call that started it all. AmericaOutloud.news was an idea, a movement, a place where folks would feel comfortable speaking the truth without being censored or canceled. The First Amendment is alive and well. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity.
For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order, risk-free. Love it or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. You wouldn't go a day without brushing your teeth or washing your hands. What about washing your nose? I mean, your nose does filter the air you breathe, air loaded with bacteria, viruses, and irritants. Make nasal hygiene part of your routine with Clear. No messy bottles to fill, no drowning sensation. Clear is a natural drug-free saline with the added benefit of xylitol, which blocks bacterial and viral adhesion. Available in stores and online at clear.com. That is X-L-E-A-R.com. So welcome back to America Out Loud Pulse. Uh, for the third segment today, what I was going to do is talk through a couple of things that we're seeing in the clinic related to long COVID. And so I'll first start out by, you know, we continue to kind of understand a lot of long COVID and the primary part of long COVID to be a vascular uh, issue. It not only causes damage to endothelium, but sludges up the small vessels. And in sludging up the small vessels, it causes significant dysfunction at the tissue level, especially tissues that are demand oriented. Those would be things like your muscles, your brain, uh, your vestibular system, areas that need help when they need it and, uh, you know, basically aren't always used uh, in a continuous fashion, unlike things like your liver or kidneys. Given this, uh, we have continued to use anticoagulants and antiplatelets to help these. And again, these are off-label treatments, but based on the most relevant science that we have seen in the literature, as well as doing it on our own, we have had some actual pretty amazing results. So when we add all that up, you know, we are also seeing a subset of people. And that subset of people is what I want to talk about today. And that subset of people are people that definitely have thrombotic issues going on. And in many ways, also report what we call post-exertional malaise. Post-exertional malaise, again, is feeling tired when you do something, but not only feeling tired then, but feeling significantly, uh, not necessarily significantly worse, but just as bad, if not worse, uh, 24 to 48 hours later. And we describe that in the context of what we call local tissue hypoxia. And I usually use the example of when you usually work out, when you usually um, 
do stuff that gets you a nice muscle burn. That muscle burn is a little bit different than the muscle burn that's happening in the long COVID phase. The workout burn that you usually do if you don't have long COVID causes some burn, but the burn uh, is kind of a signal to the muscles that, hey, let's get some more oxygen here. Let's dilate the vessel. Let's break down some of the muscle that we don't need and let's uh, build back bigger and stronger or what we would call hypertrophy. And so that would be why we work out. And when we work out, our muscles increase in size. However, there's another way your muscles respond to being worked. And in that case, it is the situation that you are working those muscles out, but you are not supplying adequate oxygen. And that lack of adequate oxygen is pretty, uh, pretty noted by the muscle. And when it's noted, yeah, the muscle responds in a um, almost 911 type signal and releases a lot of things like cytochrome C, reactive oxygen species. And, you know, one of the terms for this would be called cell death kinetics. So instead of uh, a muscle being like, hey, we worked really hard, let's get bigger and stronger. Instead, it's like, oh, my gosh, we may even never get oxygen again. And that is kind of the response we would get in a uh, cell death kinetic or post-exertional malaise scenario. And in fact, it actually damages the muscle, the fatigue, hypoxia, and ultimately release of reactive oxygen species cause the muscle to be damaged. And then interestingly enough, 24 to 48 hours later, when it gets oxygen back, it has a paradoxical effect. And that paradoxical effect is what we would describe as ischemic reperfusion injury. So funny enough, when you give oxygen back to a tissue and the tissue has been in cell death kinetics, it actually uh, causes a a paradoxical effect that's basically releasing reactive oxygen species. And so those reactive oxygen species cause further burn, further fatigue. And it is kind of that cycle that really describes the long COVID uh, kind of post-exertional malaise phenomenon. But in addition to that, there's a subset of patients, um, and I'm going to describe them uh, in kind of basically three things that I find in them. Uh, one, a lot of them are more vaccine injured initially. Uh, they have a sudden onset in their symptoms. And that sudden onset initially is usually lower extremity changes. So a lot of times that could be lower extremity swelling, lower extremity weakness, lower extremity heaviness, followed by kind of a POTS or uh, tachycardic syndrome. And then after that, uh, usually in the proceeding three to four months develops lots of kind of weird insensitivities. And those insensitivities could be uh, weird rashes to uh, foods, to stomach upset. And again, those are the kind of, you know, constellation that we were seeing. And recently I've added to that, and I think it added to it because of the research that we've been looking into is we've seen a real correlation between people that are a fancy word here, hypermobile, but hypermobile fancy word is basically saying double jointed. Uh, and it's not always perfectly double jointed. These aren't the people that definitely always are the guys that are at the circus stretching the skin off their face. But in many ways, those uh, are a good example of a hypermobile person. But these people can be people that are just more likely to open their hips up, their elbows. They're usually a little more double jointed than the average person. And what I think the research is showing, and now that I've actually seen it, I can't unsee it is that these people, in addition to their skin being hypermobile, uh, and we know that there's a, there's a significant subclass of this called Earl-Standler syndrome, um, but there's, their vasculature is also hypermobile and it's able to be stretched. And the vasculature being able to be stretched uh, 
causes further dysfunction when you think about the fact that the spike protein and COVID in general causes damage to the endothelium. So, and the endothelium is again, the inside, the lining of the vessel. And then inside that endothelium, there is even kind of the uh, perivascular space. And so all of these things uh, get damaged in COVID. And when they get damaged, if your vessels to begin with are already floppy, more stretchy, and you can use very non-scientific words to describe them, uh, then it is. it seems that when you have damage to the endothelium, they're more likely to have further damage and collapse. And one area of the body is very unique, and that is the uh, the cross of the uh, iliac um, artery, and this is the right iliac artery with the left iliac vein. And the left iliac vein passes under the right uh, iliac artery. And interestingly enough, a lot of times I use arteries, I kind of talk to them as if they are almost like, you know, more non-boiled uh, non-boiled asparagus, while veins are more like boiled asparagus. They're very floppy. So if you have a vein, uh, artery running over a vein, and then that vein's architecture loses some of its stability, then you're going to probably have collapse. And that collapse is something called iliac vein compression. We classically called it May Thurner syndrome. But it seems like a good bit of these people that are first hypermobile, second have lower extremity symptoms on the onset of their long COVID, and third, have a significant amount of POTS uh, and mast cell activation syndrome, or MCAS, uh, that they have, when we do an MRI or MRV of their pelvis, what we find is that their iliac vein is compressed. And from that iliac vein compression, what they get is a lot of pelvic congestion. Pelvic congestion in females would cause erratic and more heavy menstrual cycles. It might cause urinary urgency, can cause pelvic pain, lower back pain. It can cause healing issues when we talk about surgeries. So all these things are adding up to be pretty, pretty significant when we talk about long COVID. And it explains a lot why hypermobile people, but I, I'm going to add one more additional person to that subset. And that is somebody who's athletic. And so I've wondered this for a while, why a lot of the patients I was seeing were athletic. And it seems that uh, after thinking about it for a while and also asking the patients questions, a lot of athletic people also seem to be hypermobile. And it makes sense when you think about it. Why can somebody run faster or do things that you can't do? And a lot of it has to do when we talk about a lot of the sports that we play, you know, swinging bats, golf clubs, running, a lot of those things are going to be better when you can stretch. I mean, if you've ever seen the guy at the end of the 100 meter um, uh, hundred meter race, when he's getting ready, if he, he can usually jump out of the roof. He's also extremely flexible. And the flexibility means that he's able to turn over his legs and also widen his gait in a way that makes him world uh, world class. So I think that's one of the connections we're starting to make. And it's in that subset of people that there is significant dysfunction because a lot of these people, uh, they're kind of not only their overall health, but their mental health is found in the ability to exercise. And so if you take that away from them, uh, they are going to have a pretty hard time. And I think that's one of the more um, harder things to see in the clinic because you usually in this kind of situation have somebody for the most part that it looks extremely healthy 
uh, that walks into the clinic and basically says, my life is miserable. Everything I do now, I can't do very long and uh, I really can't you know, perform. And for the most part, as a physician, a lot of times you're sitting there going, I don't really see any pathology when I look at them. And so uh, it's hard. And then also a lot of times when you actually run the typical tests that we have for things like cardiac dysfunction or respiratory dysfunction, those are going to be otherwise normal. First of all, they have a massive reserve. Usually they've worked that up. And so in some ways, their dysfunction is a little bit um, different than the dysfunction that you might see in somebody who barely can walk in the room. But they themselves also uh, have seen a, a pretty dramatic decline in their overall health and their ability to basically participate with a reasonable quality of life. And given that, um, that's why it's uh, so disheartening when they go to the doctor and they are told that there's nothing wrong with them. And because the reality is, is most of these people are very in tune with their body and they know something's wrong with them. So the, when we go back to that iliac vein compression, when we talk about these people that are hypermobile, um, some of, some of the males that I've seen are cyclists and cyclists also have had a history of kind of what we would call pelvic floor trauma, uh, pelvic floor trauma leading to the probably breakdown of this again, right iliac artery going under the left iliac vein and collapsing. And when that collapses, um, it causes dysfunction in terms of not only reperfusion or blood getting back to the heart from the legs, but the sensor that's there because it's a big vessel also activates all kinds of other issues. And those would be the reason that you get a lot of these tachycardia syndromes. You get these fading, you get the inability to run without their legs being extremely weak. And so in many ways, a lot of the things that we look at, especially I look at in the lab here is looking for things like um, thrombotic phenomenon. Well, the funny thing about May Thurner or iliac vein compression is combined with that, these people, because they have that iliac vein compressed and there's this tortuous flow through the iliac vein. And also there's lots of reflux, backflow. There's lots of pelvic venous congestion. It sets up a scenario for them to have lots of fibrin type clotting processes. In fact, these people prior to COVID were at risk for, uh, for DVTs, uh, for big uh, or PEs. Uh, they were the people that you would see that would be the you know great athlete that all of a sudden on an airplane uh, throws off a big uh, clot into their lungs. So uh, it is not surprising that when we look at their blood in the post-COVID um, phenom- in the post-COVID diagnosis, that they also have these uh, fibrin aggregates. And so uh, it, it, it originally was kind of difficult to tease this out. And I will tell you uh, it kind of was hard because these people would usually get a little bit better on um, anticoagulants, antiplatelets, but uh, either we would remove it or, uh, you know, um, and that it would come back or they just never would really get back to their, their, their number one self, meaning like, you know, their original self. And uh, it seemed to be to me that there was something additional going on, which kind of uh, moved me to look a little bit further. And one of the people I work with is a cardiologist at Emory named Alexis Cutchins, who's very well uh, versed in pelvic venous disease. And after talking to her, it made a lot of sense now. And as we start to get something called MRV, which is basically an MRI of your pelvis that has a venogram on it to look at the veins of the pelvis, it's amazing how many of them have severe iliac vein compression. So all that to say, I think that's just kind of an update. And when we're trying to look at these, what I would call phenotypes or 
constellation of symptoms to put in kind of a box. Not that I always do that, but it's helpful because when you think about these people um, that have long COVID, it's nice to kind of be able to understand where their problems might lie. Again, the COVID and the spike protein itself is the uh, is the chaos causer here, but it can cause chaos in different people based on their what we would call baggage they bring to the to the <laughs> to the uh, to the disease. And so, with that, um, we will close out for today. Again, this is Dr. Jordan Bond, Dr. Stuart Tankersley with America Out Loud Pulse. Always one beat ahead. <laughs>